Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan, month of January. Uh, and if that's a too confusing, we also have it available on our website, Grove.Church. Yeah, we'd love for you to jump in and read with us. The beauty of this plan this year is we're reading month over month, so there's an easy on opportunity for you. So we'd love for you to jump in and read with us and discuss, uh, or at least listen to us discuss the reading plan and the topics, but also questions you may have. Uh, and if you do have questions as you're listening or reading along the Bible, we would love to answer those questions, whether it's a plan-related question, something comes up in the reading for the week, or there's just a question that's been burning in your mind that you just can't shake. We would love to take time to answer those questions. You can send those questions to us in two ways. One, you can send us an email at info at grove.church and make sure to put in the subject line that let's read the Bible podcast question, or you can put question for Evan and Aaron if that's easier. Uh, or the other way you can send us those questions is uh, via the Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, and we'd love for you to send us those uh, questions, direct message us in that app. Uh, we do get those questions there for sure. So we'd love to you, love for you to send us those questions. And before we dive in, just a couple resources that we're using today. These are kind of standards for us, but it's the ESV Study Bible, the New Testament in its World by N.T. Wright and Michael F. Bird, and then the Essence of the New Testament by Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez. Yep, so. that's what we're using. Uh, and so this week, we're jumping into two books. Uh, actually, we're not jumping in. We've actually started them last week, sorry, and then we're continuing them. And so we're hitting uh, the book of Acts, uh, which I'm going to take time to kind of break down for us, and then we're jumping and continue the book of Genesis, which Evan will take that here in a minute. Uh, but this, the part of the, the the book of Acts, the story of the, the church being born or starting, if you will, uh, is, is what's unfolding. And then we see this incredible moment, which I would actually say arguably is one of the most significant and impactful moments in Christian history, uh, and that's Saul's encounter with Christ. Uh, and so we'll see that as we read uh, today into this week. And then we'll also see the the church begin to s- expand, spread the, the early missionary journeys uh, that Paul was a part of, that Barnabas was a part of, uh, just to take the, the, the message of the gospel uh, to the world as they knew it. And so uh, we're going to see that. It's interesting because last week we we really ended with the story of Saul and kind of he's just going on rampage. It's not great. And then this week we're going to see, it's, it's a real, yeah. with Acts and with Genesis, both we both ended on turning points. And this one, we're going to see what happens when God grabs a hold of Saul's heart and kind of takes all of his zeal and yeah. uses it for good. And then in Genesis, we're going to see, I won't spoil it, but we're going to see another turning point of the book as well. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, and even just again to hit for a second, like we we ended with Stephen's death, the martyr, the first martyr of the church, first martyr for Christ, uh, and the robes were being placed at Saul's feet, which is a sign of authority. And so then we see this moment where Saul is now taking on uh, his his desire to to take Christians to prison, to get rid of them, and to eradicate the ways what they were called originally. And so uh, that's where it is. And so you get this massive encounter. It's funny that I say it's probably one of the most impactful moments in Christian history, uh, but I'm not going to read it. Uh, I'm not going to jump into that text because I want you to read it yep. and enjoy it. You could argue, with the exception of the resurrection and Pentecost, it might be the the, the yes. most important event in the early church. So. That's why, I say, and that's why I would say one of the right because then yeah. we can get we can start splitting hairs and be a little bit ridiculous about it. So, anyways, without Paul, without Saul's conversion to Paul, uh, we we would not have 
that's not fair to say because God can work anything, but because of Saul and Paul, there is this drastic truth that we now have in the New Testament. Yep. Um, so we see it. Uh, he has this incredible encounter. Can't wait for you to read it and kind of be challenged by it. Uh, but then he begins to serve Christ. He then uh, goes into Damascus. He All the Christians are afraid of him because they know the name Saul. And all the while, they don't know his story of, of, of encounter with Christ. Um, and and it leaves them wondering, should we really trust him? Uh, a man named Ananias responds to God's call to go and pray for him. It says his scales fell off his eyes. And then he begins his, his uh, I, I would say his study. I think I remember uh, last time we did a deep dive into the book of Acts. There's these moments of Paul's life where he spent diligent time learning and 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 submitting himself to the authority of the disciples so he could learn more about the gospel, learn more about Christ, what he came to do, what was the mission, right. what were they supposed to do. So it wasn't just all of a sudden he meets Jesus and he goes. It, it's he meets Jesus and he stays for a time to learn among the disciples. Um, and in one of the epistles, he even writes, like, when I was among you, I presumed to know nothing but him in Christ crucified um, because he wanted to have that the, the spot to learn and grow. Which is, is an incredibly humble thing for Paul to do. Yes, absolutely. He, he is at this point, probably the most educated disciple of Christ. And because, and it's, it's, I just think it's funny because you have this guy who's, you know, he's a Pharisee. He's fully learned the old Testament. He's a very learned man and he's submitting under the teachings of like fishermen. Yes. And so, and I, I think a lot of times we skip over that, but when he says, I presume to know nothing except Christ and him crucified, what he's saying is he's like, Obviously, the centrality of Christ and his and his resurrection, um, but also this idea of Paul very much, or I guess Saul at this point, but he very much humbled himself um, in order to yes. take the role that he does in the early church, which is so significant. Uh, and it just it goes to show Paul's demeanor, Paul's that what happens when he encounters Christ is his life is drastically transformed, um, and not just. In, sal- in salvation and understanding the truth of the gospel, but how it plays out in his everyday life and how he responds and respects and and submits to authority, which I think is a big deal. Um, continues on in the book of Acts, we're going to find this vision by Cornelius, uh, by a Gentile man named Cornelius. Uh, we're going to see Paul also or Peter also getting a vision where it shifts, the, the narrative shifts a bit to Peter for a time. Um, and this, I call it a rebuke of God to Peter, uh, but I just want to read for a second the, the response. In essence, Peter has this vision. He goes to the Gentiles and he has this clarifying moment where the gospel is really meant to be inclusive and not exclusive. Uh, and it says this in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 36, very simply it says, Peter began to speak and he simply says this. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And and prior to this moment, there was this strong divisiveness in the sense of Jews didn't accept Gentiles. And we see that through the stories of the Good Samaritan. We see that all throughout Jesus' life. And Peter has this encounter and this vision from God that then justifies and brings to recognition the gospel is not just for the Jews, that it actually is also inclusive to those who are outside of the Jewish faith uh, and the Jewish population. And so for me today, I'm a Gentile in a biblical context. I'm a Gentile because I'm not of Jewish descent or heritage. Uh, and that's the power of the gospel. Well, and the idea of religion being not directly tied to your nation is also very unique. And we kind of take that for granted now. But hmm. if you think of think of world religions beside Christianity, most of them are very tied to a nation or one specific yeah, culture. Um, and at this point, 
it was 100%. You even hear people talking about like, oh, that's cool. Those are your gods. Well, my gods are this, like, like people's gods that they worship, the religion that they belong to was very, very much tied to the land that they lived in and the culture that they were a part of. And so I think sometimes like we can get on Peter a little bit. It's like, yeah, obviously this is what God is doing. <laughs> yeah. But like, no, like what, <laughs> what God is telling Peter here is revolutionary for the time. And it's even still revolutionary today. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, and it's such a good way to look at it too. Um, so you see this encounter with God and, and Peter. Uh, and Peter actually gets lambasted by fellow Jews when he's sitting down with a bunch of Gentiles. And he actually stops and he gets rebuked. I believe it's by Paul. Uh, and later on in his life, he gets rebuked yep. because you're 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 being hypocritical right now. Like you you are acting one way when you're around certain people. When other people, your friends show up, you change the way you live. That's hypocritical. Don't do that. Um, and so it really is a significant moment in Peter's life. Uh, and this is the the continue like this is the start of the church expanding. And so the, then we shift into things where we see missionary journeys. Right? As we read through the book of Acts, you'll see what's called missionary journeys. There's three of them that Acts breaks down. Uh, and this is where Paul, Barnabas is going to go to Antioch. And he wants someone to go with them, so he calls on Saul to go with them. So they go to Antioch, uh, and they're they're there to meet with those who have professed faith in Christ. And this is the first place we find in history that the term Christian is used. Um, the Christians in Antioch are the first versions, I guess, if you will, the no OGs. More, no more the way. Nope, no more the way, which is which is probably a little bit better. It makes a little bit much sense. But uh, And even the term Christians means like little Christs. That's what the term Christians means. So when followers of Christ, they're, they're miniature or smaller versions, little versions of who Christ was and what he came to do. They carry that same mission and method. Uh, you'll see during this time, uh, James was actually killed by Herod, and then Peter was thrown into prison. Uh, James, this is John's brother. Yes, not John's the, brother. Not the brother of Christ. No, not no, because he still writes the book he, of James. He gets killed later too. He does. But... And he gets thrown from the temple. Oh, man. Anyways. Spoiler. Um, so you see James, the brother of John, killed. You see Peter thrown in prison because Herod uh, really was trying to, to appease the Jewish leaders. Um, they were complaining to him. It was creating some frustration for, for Herod. And so he wants to appease them. And so he ends up taking James, kills him, and then Peter th is thrown in prison. Uh, and then you see God's miraculous provision from prison for Peter. Uh, the, the book of Acts, just to, just to be honest, is such an incredible book. Um, there's so much that happens in the short 26, I believe, chapters. Um, and it seems like as you're reading it, there's just so much happening after it. But it really is this incredible um, catalyst from the day of Pentecost, from the Holy Spirit being poured out and the church being born uh, and expanding even today as it continues to expand thousands of years later. Um, so there's just a lot. You see missionaries' journeys where uh, Barnabas and Saul and then John Mark accompanies them. They go to Cyprus and Asia Minor to preach the gospel. People get saved there. Uh, and there's a dispute between uh, Paul and Barnabas on this, and that right before the second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas decide to take a different route. They decide to go separate ways um, because of John Mark, because Paul did not like John Mark being there. He thought John Mark was... Uh, I think for me to put it this way, he was kind of, he wasn't committed. He was kind of, he seemed a little lazy. He seemed a little like a baby. He was whining. He wanted to be back home. And uh, so Paul didn't have time for that. Paul's like, we got stuff to do. <laughs> I don't got time for this. And so he got mad at Barnabas. They kind of broke off. Uh, Barnabas took John Mark back to Cyprus where they first started to revisit the Christians there to encourage and develop and train and raise up and continue to, to, to support them. Uh, when then Paul takes 
with him, Silas, and they go to Syria, Cilicia, and Galatia. Um, and this is, uh, we'll see in a moment, and we'll see in part of this passage where as they're going, they're trying to make their way into Asia, but they keep getting blocked. Uh, and the Holy Spirit redirects them. And we find out later in the passage, and I'm going to read it, uh, that it was to go to Macedonia. Uh, and it says this in, in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. It says, they went through the region of uh, I'm not even going to Ferg- Fergia, I'm Listen, going with? Normally, normally you just read it and act like you know it. This one I got stuck, I, I got stuck on for a second. So they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, which this is part of Paul. Like Paul's, Paul's desire is to go into Asia to continue to spread the gospel, and the Holy Spirit prevents them. It says, then when they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of, of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in, in which a Macedonian man was standing out, standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had the vision, he, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, um, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. Now, obviously, Luke is part of this journey because uh, he says we, uh, and it's not just his account of writing, this is what happened, um, but it, it's it's significant. It is fun to look in Acts when it shifts from yes. first person and then it'll I go- I probably should have highlighted that, but- Yeah, it'll go back to third person for a little bit. It goes back to first, but when it's in first person, you know, specifically Luke is not interviewing people. Or asking what happened. Nope. He's like, no, yeah, I was here. I was there. Yeah. I saw this happen. We were there. I was I was with them. That's pretty cool. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it is. It is. I mean, pay attention to those nuances because uh, it, it's just kind of fun to just see different different layers to it. Uh, but there was this moment where all of a sudden Peter, um, or not Peter, sorry. I get those two confused all the time. I misspeak their names. It's the P uh, names. It is. But Paul uh, ends up going to Macedonia and... And we see this is where Philippi and Thessalonica come into play. Athens, we see this great debate on Mars Hill uh, where Paul sees an idol to an unknown God. And he says, hey, I see that you worship an unknown God. And it's so, it's so, I think it's so wise to watch how Paul addresses the culture with which he's present in. Mm -hmm. The cities he goes to is not just haphazardly like I would go to Arlington and just start talking like I'm from you know, Texas or whatever. It's, 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 he strategically is going places, looking for bridges and opportunities to introduce Christ and the hope of, of Jesus, like God's ultimate plan. So he sees this, he sees this unknown God that there's an idol that they worship. They have this, I think it's like a wall and, and there's idols and different that represent different things. And then there's one that says unknown and he sees that and he uses that to then communicate and preach the gospel. Uh, and I think it's important for us today is, I mean, church leaders, if you're listening to this and you're a church leader, like we've got to understand the culture we're in, the time, and how do we relate and communicate the gospel that we don't water it down, we don't change it because the gospel doesn't need to change it. It has its own power. I mean, First Corinthians says it's the wisdom, the cross is the wisdom and power of God, but he uses uh, he uses the, the, the moment, the time, and he communicates the gospel. And we need to continue to do that today as Christians. We need to look for opportunities. And we can only do that by the grace of the Holy Spirit, empowering and using us. Paul is on a second missionary journey. Then he jumps to his third missionary journey. And there's this crazy scenario where Paul confronts a couple of some disciples of John the Baptist. And it says this in verse 19, uh, chapter 19, it says this. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled there through interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed them? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And the reason why I say it's, in, it's, it's important is because these disciples had been following the idea of John's baptism. They had been following, uh, they didn't have the total picture of the gospel and being empowered to do uh, what Christ came and died and rose again to do. And so is this, he says this after that, he's like, into what were you baptized? He asked him, into John's baptism, they replied. 
Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, and that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So in other words, uh, it's, it's, it's important because they had associated their salvation, they had associated their faith with John, right. not with Christ. And, and it's just like when it, Paul, Paul later, it, it rebukes um, individuals later on in one of the letters. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but he just says, some of you say I serve Apollos. I actually think it's in 1 Corinthians. I serve, well, I serve I Paul. Serve I serve yeah. so-and-so. And this is what Paul's getting at. It's not, it's it's Christ and him crucified. It's Jesus. And Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians. It's Jesus. He's the hope. He's the reason that we anchor everything too. And so he, he rebukes and, and confronts these disciples and read aligns and re-anchors their faith in Christ. Well, and I think there's a parallel too between these disciples and um, the Jews that Paul often listens to where John the Baptist's whole ministry is about pointing to Jesus. Yeah. Just like the Old Testament scriptures are all about pointing to Jesus and they both miss the point. And so I think in here you see a microcosm of what a lot of the struggle of the early church is, is getting the people who follow the Old Testament scriptures alone. They follow the law and the prophets and saying like, you don't understand, like here's what's pointing to. We get a little miniature version of that here where Paul is saying like, you don't understand, like John's baptism, yeah. this is what it was pointing to. And I love, I just, I also just love the line of like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Say what? Yeah, it was. And then, you know, then it continues on that he's going to pray for them. They're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They're going to speak in tongues and they're going to, they're going to be empowered to do the, and be a part of the great commission to go and take the gospel into the, in the world. And then they had a little side note, little, a little thought. There was 12 men in all which is almost like a little shout out to like, hey, remember 12 disciples? Anyways, so Paul has this crazy scenario, continues on his third missionary journey. And then we see, and this is where kind of our reading is going to wrap up at the end of the week. Uh, we see the church start to advance into Rome, which is, as we can know it, looking from a from a, uh, an outside of this time in history, this is where Paul begins to come to the end of his life. Um, when he gets in prison, it's where he writes letters to Philippi and Thessalonica. He's, it's important to realize these journeys because it allows us to look back and like, these are all places Paul had incredible moments in preaching the gospel and seeing people come to know Christ in Philippi and Thessalonica, these missionary journeys. He's not just writing to churches in a region. He's writing to churches that he's familiar with because he helped launch the church themselves. And so we see the church begin its advance to Rome. uh, And we know in coming towards the end of Paul's life. Well, before we jump into Genesis, we do want to remind all of you to, Hey, you know, leave a review, a five-star review. It just helps get the podcast out there to more people. It helps grow the community of all of us reading the Bible together, just like Kristen from Texas did this week, where she writes, 100% finding this podcast was God moving through my life. My church does 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of every year. So this year I decided to fast from secular podcasts. Just this morning, I was telling my husband that I don't have any motivation to read the Bible, but I'd rather listen to people talk about it. As God's plan would have it, I stumbled upon Let's Read the Bible, and by minute 15 of my first time listening, I wanted to immediately start reading through Luke and Daniel so that I can follow along and interact with this podcast. Thank you all for helping with my spiritual journey. I'm not going to lie. That's one of the best reviews. Um, Not, I'm not comparing to others, but like seriously, I normally am the one that reads them and kind of knows we're coming in, and I just realized when everyone was saying, leave a review, uh, I was like, do we have one? He's like, yeah. Um, what a, what an incredibly cur- encouraging re- review. I mean, not even for the, like the five-star, like that, that's, that's why we do what we do like, yeah. because we, we, God has stirred in me and in Evan, this idea and this passion 
for his word, and we just want to be able to talk about it. Uh, and so I thank you for that review. That's that's incredible. Um, one of my favorite moments. Um, and I hope since you're from Texas, you're a Cowboys fan, and I'll be rooting with you this today. Hopefully the Cowboys will have won, and we can celebrate another she playoff game. She could be a game. Texans so fan. She know. might be, but hopefully she's a Cowboys fan. Go Cowboys. And also, thank you for the though, review, seriously. Yeah, it means the world to us to be able to help people read the Bible, to inspire them to read the Bible more. That is ultimately the reason that we do this. So thank you so much for that review. All right, let's jump into Genesis. This one actually works out pretty well. It, it's essentially all of Abraham's life. Uh, we don't quite get to his death and we don't quite start off right with Abraham, but that's kind of what we're reading through. So this week, our readings in Genesis, they begin after the flood and we see Noah's descendants spread out and they become nations. So a lot of time is passing as they're being fruitful and multiplying. You might say nations are beginning to rise up <laughs> and we see, we see the Tower of Babel. So it's rise. And also it's fall. And yeah. this is when God essentially creates language, spreads out the nations even more because he's telling them like your command was to go and fill the earth with nations, not to stick around in this one area. So that's what they end up doing. After that, Genesis, and this is what I was saying, it's a real turning point of the book. Um, Genesis has been at a 30,000 foot level. Like we've been talking about things like the creation of the world, mm -hmm. global floods, all these different things. Now for the rest of the book, we're going to zero in on this one family. We're going to talk about a guy, his son, his grandson, and his great grandson. And that's, that's the whole rest of the book. So in chapter 12, we are introduced to a man named Abram. Uh, so this is what it says in Genesis 12, one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your own country and your own kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's kind of a cool, it's a really cool moment because, and again, like we just talked about, the Old Testament is shouting about Christ. Mm -hmm. It's pointing toward this arrival of Christ. And when specifically God says, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, that's specifically talking about Jesus. Like yes. one day, the salvation of the world is going to be, it's going to happen through your line. Obviously, this is thousands of years later, but Jesus is a direct descendant of yep. Abraham. So that's a really cool deal. Um, and Abram is by no means perfect. And I think this is something that a lot of times we we mess up in when we read the Bible because we, we think of the biblical heroes as um, they're, they're people where certain aspects of their character we should model ourselves after, but we definitely shouldn't be modeling our whole lives after who Abram is. Um, it's clear that Yahweh's favor on him is not, it's not deserved. It's not there because Abram is a righteous man and he's earned God's favor. It's, it's there because God is chosen, Abram. Uh, we even get a story about how they travel to Egypt. So it says there's a famine in the land, which is a big theme in the Old Testament. Uh, but Abraham brings his family down to Egypt and he's like, hey, listen, wife, you're pretty easy on the eyes. Uh, Pharaoh, <laughs> Pharaoh might want, like, I don't know, he might want to take you into his house. And so we're just going to say that you're my sister. That way he doesn't kill me to take you. And then and sure enough, that's what Pharaoh does. He doesn't kill Abraham, but he's like, oh yeah, cool. She's Sarai. She's pretty easy on the eyes. And so all this happens and then a big plague hits Pharaoh's house. And he's wondering what's gone on and Abraham has to repent. So just to give you the kind of idea that Abram is, the, the, the kind of guy that Abram is, he's not exactly a... Uh, you know, he's not a stand-up guy, but he has faith and he follows the Lord, which is kind of like the important thing in his, Good in work, his story. Gabriel. Well, it says, we'll get into it, but it says, 
Abraham had faith and it was counted to him as righteousness, yep. which I think it's a powerful statement for us today. Cause that's kind of, I mean, if that's not the gospel, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what the whole idea is. Uh, well, I think it's interesting too, with Abram, um, the intention was not to like get, sell his wife or his intention was like, I don't want to die. Right. Like that, that's the issue. Like it, it's, he's willing to throw his wife because, and, and culturally and in that time, women were not viewed as, as people as much as property. And, and Abram knew that it's, it's, is if I have you and Pharaoh likes you, all he has to do is kill me to have you. Um, and, and that's his motivation, his motivation. Um, that, that's what I'm, I want to be careful. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I understand his motivation to be is very selfish and self-seeking. I don't want to die. Right. Therefore you just say you're my sister. He was scared. Yeah. And so then, and so then that's where the, the, the whole issue comes into play is, is he going to continue to trust in God? And he's in this journey. Like that's the other side of it. In Hebrews, we read the the passage that says his he was his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Um, and so you see that 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 attachment. Um, but it's this journey of of obedience and discipline. He learns that too. But he's right. not the best guy in the world. Well, and speaking of obedience being counted as righteousness, we're going to get into his uh, the actual covenant. So this is the one of the first covenants that we see with the people of Israel specifically. And this is Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse one. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. But this is, a, we've jumped in time a little bit, by the way, this isn't right after the last passage. Uh, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus, which I mean, you got to feel a little bit bad for Eleazar of Damascus because he's just a footnote and his whole thing is like, I don't want to give my stuff to that guy. He's the worst. Uh, And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and the number of stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. I actually love, I never thought of it before, but I love what you said about how Abram is on a journey. It's absolutely true. And we see like he messes up constantly, but his his journey is really about trusting God and having God do what he's going to say, what he says he's going to do. It, it's it's a testament to God's faithfulness in the life of Abraham and the fact that as as time goes on, he continually has to learn to trust God more and more. Um, so of course, here's the deal. God's like, you're not going to be childless. You will have your own son. Abram and Sarai try to, they try to nudge God's promise along, which leads to Ishmael being born. So essentially the idea, Sarah, I think, yeah, Sarai comes up with the solution. She's like, Hey, why don't you have a baby with one of the handmaids instead of with me? And Abram's like, it's a great idea. Let's do that. And obviously not a great idea and it doesn't work out very well. But Ishmael is born. He's technically the first son of Abram. Uh, and then Hagar, who is the mother of Ishmael, is also around. Yeah. And I think also the other side of it is um, the reason why Sor- Soraya or however you say her name, uh, I always say Sarah because it's going to be changed to Sarah anyways. Yeah, we can just call uh, her But the, the reason why is because she's like, I'm along in age. I'm old in age. I don't, I don't, in essence, it's showing a doubt in in God's promise to have an heir, to have a child. Right. And and so they try, and this is where, you know, whether Abraham was like, hey, that's sounds like a great idea, or it was like, I don't know of any other way that's gonna happen, because yeah, you are old in age, you're not, you're not really fit to have kids. 
Um, so yeah, we might as well. Like at the end of it all, it, it all comes back down to what what we're gonna see Abram struggle with and learn to trust God in is is that simple faith. Like, do I trust God and take him at his word or am I gonna doubt? And that that was the reason why. And so it I mean, God blesses Ishmael, um, like and blesses Hagar, but um, not as if he was going to bless Abraham's child. That's just how, because God had other things in store. Right. Um, and Hagar and Ishmael, that was that was not their fault for the way things played out. They did what they were supposed to do as far as be obedient to their masters. Oh yeah, they're not the they're so, not the bad guys. So God has grace and mercy on them, um, but at the end of the day, like there there's a way that God wanted to work, and it's it's a matter of will we trust His timing? Will Abraham and Sarah trust their timing, His timing? And that's what we see play out. And so, yeah, there is so much of the story of Abraham is, like you said, it's that theme of trusting God over and over again. Um, Eventually, Abram's name is changed to Abraham, and then Sarai is uh, changed to Sarah. Also, at this point, circumcision is established, which is always, it's kind of a weird thing to talk about, like in today's (laughs) context. But essentially what it was is it was a way that God wanted his people to set themselves apart from the rest of the nations. Um, The Old Testament is very much about... Like we said, it it screams about Christ. It points towards that, but it's also about the idea of God setting apart people, and these are the people that God has chosen to play out the drama, I suppose, of what Christ's redemption will look like. And so He wants them to be a very separate, a very separate people. And you can see it when you when you look up the history of that region. There is no nation like Israel. They're they're very unique in what we'll call you know Mesopotamia, the fertile the fertile crescent, Eastern Mediterranean, of all the cultures that are there. Israel is is kind of it's it's a unique bird, yeah. I guess, compared to the it's rest true. of them. Uh, but anyways, as we continue on, uh, we get the story of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, and then Abraham's nephew Lot is spared. So that's always a good time, and then. I mean, the sparing. Well, Lot's wife turns a pillar of salt. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, again, another lesson on trust, trust the Lord. Yep. Don't look back. Uh, and then we get Isaac is born. So Isaac is Abraham and Sarah's son. Uh, so his second son. And then after this, Ishmael and Hagar are banished. So they go and he begins, he starts other nations, which is kind of interesting as well. And we'll see the, the drama of that play out as time goes on. Uh, and then we get to this famous passage, which I wanted to kind of land on today, but it's about the sacrifice of Isaac. And Mm. To me, if the story of Abram's life is about trusting God, this is the climax of that story. This is when he is put to the ultimate test. Um, And God tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son, which is an incredibly heavy thing to to ask of Abraham. Uh, But he agrees to it. Mm. And so he goes, it says he travels with his son and some servants to a mountain. He hasn't really told anyone what it's about. And then at a certain point, he leaves behind the servants, and it's just him and Isaac who go up to the top. And then we get uh, this final passage. And it says, when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But an angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorn, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on this mount, the Lord, on this mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham for a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, 
because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offering as the stars of heaven and as the sands on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and your offspring shall uh, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Hmm. So there's so much going on. That yeah, it's true. Um, so number one is this idea of, do you love God because of the things that he gives you or do you love God because of who he is? Hmm. And this is the ultimate test of that for Abraham where it would have been very easy for Abraham to say, the only reason I've served you is because you promised me that I would have children, that I would, that I would be the father of great nations. And now you're going to take that away and, and reject. Well, Abraham doesn't do that. I also love, again, we're talking about Christ appearing in the Old Testament. I love the idea of the ram here being symbolic of Jesus. This idea that Abraham was going to have to sacrifice something, a price was going to have to be paid, and then the Lord provided, seemingly out of nowhere, um, this ram that would actually be the sacrifice. And then second, I love the fact that, um, that Yahweh calls out, because you have not withheld your son, your only son. And that language is very much indicative of what we see in John 3.16 is one and only son. Um, and so where Abraham, through faith, does not withhold his son to obey God, Yahweh does not withhold his son for our redemption. So, so there's yeah, there's so there's so much in this passage. I love it so much. Um so as yeah, as as you're reading through the Genesis passages as you're reading through the Acts passages, I think we're reading stories truly about titans of the faith. Paul and Abraham, it doesn't get too much bigger than them. Um, but we're reading about how both of their lives are changed, how Abraham grows in his faith and he continuously trusts God more and more and how Paul, his life is changed. And here's the guy who he describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's grown up in Jewish culture. He's incredibly educated. He's like, I guess you know the way you put it. He's a Jew's Jew, right? Like he knows the Old Testament frontward and backwards. He's oppressing the church because he wants to stay with uh, the tradition. And he becomes the greatest champion of the Gentiles. Um, and Paul's greatest legacy, he, he doesn't do a ton in Israel. Mm -hmm. Almost all of his ministry is abroad. And we yeah. see him bringing all of these Greek city-states, and eventually, like you said, he goes to Rome. Um, it's just incredibly life-changing moments. And I think it's inspiring for us as we read today, keep that in mind, that we're yeah. watching two men who trust God or learn to trust God, and we see how the world, all the world is blessed through, yeah. through their obedience. So good. So true. All right, well, we're going to move on to our question that we received today. Uh, Aaron had to step out, actually. He had a meeting, so we ran up on time. But I'll answer the question by myself and then wrap up this podcast. So uh, this came in, and it's actually from one of our younger listeners, so that's exciting. It says, my son asked, who determined which books are in the Bible and why they are in the order that they are? Okay, so this is a really good question. And we get actually, it's, it's an important thing to kind of keep in mind. Um, the first thing I'll say is as far as order goes, that's mostly just due to tradition. Um, it's not that any one person decided that the order things go on. And even if you look at different Christian traditions have different orders of books. Um, and a lot of the Hebrew Old Testaments, if you're looking at that perspective, they actually have the books in a slightly different order as well. Um, as far as which books are in the Bible, we call that canon. 
So when we say canonical, uh, that's what we're talking about. And it canon, it's funny because canon has actually come into usage a lot in, um, I'll call it nerd culture, I suppose. But when we're talking about what things are canon and what things are, it means, well, what things are real and what things aren't. And real is a weird word to use too, because obviously like Star Wars canon isn't real, but we're talking about what are the things that are in the main story, I suppose. So when we're talking about canon, that means that there's certain books, there's certain writings that we consider to be scripture, we consider to be inspired by God, and there's other books that may not be on that same level, but they're really helpful. Uh, and so great examples of those types of books would be, and we've referred to it in the past, um, like the book of the Maccabees. We wouldn't consider that scripture, but it's really helpful to understand Jewish culture between Malachi and Matthew, and also the story of um, the Hasmonean dynasty and r- basically rising up against uh, the Seleucid Empire. So that was really cool. Uh, in the New Testament, we could call a lot of these letters from the church fathers. So we have epistles written by Clement I, and I believe Origen, and a, a, there might be one of Polycarp, I don't remember. But anyways, it's we wouldn't consider them scripture, but they're really helpful to read. And if nothing more, because we get an idea of, well, what were the people who were pastoring right after the apostles in that next generation or the generation after that, what were they thinking? What were their thoughts about the early church? So it's really helpful. So, but again, we wouldn't consider those scriptures. So how do we arrive at what books are considered scripture? So I'll take this into four different sections here. First off, we'll talk about the law. So the law or the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, These are referred throughout the Old Testament, referred to throughout the Old Testament as being authoritative. So you'll see people talking about the law. In uh, Psalms, David talks about how he loves the law. He meditates on it day and night. Uh, When Josiah becomes king, it talks about how the law was brought before him and he read it and he realized that they need to repent. And so the reason we would consider the law canonical is because scripture itself considers it canonical. When we read the Bible, it's clear that very early on, and Israel's history, these five books were recognized as being inspired by God. Next up, we have the prophetic books. And this can be a little bit misleading because what's referred to as the prophetic books is also the history books. So this would be everything from Joshua all the way to Malachi. Some of those, you know, like Joshua, Judges, Ruth, uh, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, those are kind of the historical books. You have the wisdom books in there, so the Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And then you have the prophets, which would be Isaiah all the way to Malachi. Those we get referenced in the New Testament a lot. So we get this phrase, the law and the prophets. Well, the law, we know what that refers to, and the prophets are all these other books. So between the writings we have from that time, And then we have the Talmud, which is a few centuries later, but within those writings, and specifically with the Talmud when it's finished, it has the same books of the Old Testament that we would have today. So it's pretty reliable. Um, We also have the scrolls at Qumran that were found there, um, also known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, but we get a pretty good idea of, well, what did they consider scripture? And we see representations from, I believe, every book in the Old Testament. There might be one missing, but it's pretty close to every book. So... We can be pretty confident that the Old Testament, as it sits today, these are the same books that Jesus would have recognized. Uh, Next up, I just want to talk a little bit about the Apocrypha. So this is the books where um, I think Tobit and the Book of the Maccabees and a couple others are included in there. Uh, 
in the early church period, some of the church fathers added those books. Um, not that they they didn't write them, but they added them into the Bibles and the, the Bible. Uh, and they take place between Malachi and Matthew. Um, so to this day, the Roman Catholic and the Greek Orthodox churches accept these books while Protestants do not. Um, and so we're a part of a Protestant tradition um, here at Let's read the Bible. The Grove Church, we're a Protestant church, and so we do not consider those uh, to be scripture, mostly because they weren't really considered scripture until we get to the Latin church fathers, um, which that just means the Roman church fathers, right? So when we have the Septuagint and we have the our understanding of the Old Testament, that is very much the Old Testament that we have today. And then when we get a little bit later into the Roman Catholic tradition is when we start seeing these other books pop up. And so again, most of the apocryphal books very helpful. They're not bad. It's not like they're evil or anything. We just wouldn't put them on the same level as scripture. And finally, we get to the books of the New Testament. Uh, So the 27 books that make up the New Testament are actually not, they're not all that controversial. There's been more controversial today uh, than there was early on in church history. Uh, But all Christian denominations hold these books as canon. And so we're talking about the actual, you know, the mainline, what we would consider Christian denominations. So kind of getting away from the ones that may call themselves Christians, but but aren't really. Um, The major test of canonicity is the authority of the author. So the early church was very familiar with authors and rejected uh, – I should have looked up how to say that word – basically gospels that were written with people who use pseudonyms. Um, And so what that means is maybe you've heard of the gospel of Thomas or the gospel of Judas, things like that. Well, these were certainly not written by Thomas or Judas. These are written probably hundreds of years later, a couple hundred years or a hundred years after the events have taken place. And it's just people using those names to get their ideas out there. So the books that we have in the New Testament, the test really was, are these actually written by the person that they say they are? And then is the message that they have consistent with what we read in the rest of Scripture. So the only exception to this, where we don't really know the author of a book, is Hebrews. Um, But there the content is consistent with the rest of Scripture, but that's the one that was kind of argued about. Um, As far as where this was made official, you could point to the Council of Nicaea, but again, at this point, it wasn't like there was a bunch of books and everyone brought their favorites and then they narrowed it down to 27. The 27 books of the New Testament were pretty widely considered scripture already at this point. The Council of Nicaea just kind of put it officially, if you will. Um, and that's also, fun fact, that's the uh, that's the council where Santa Claus punched a guy in the face for saying that uh, Jesus wasn't God. So, you know, there you go. Uh, good old St. Nicholas. That's probably my favorite of those stories. All right. Well, hopefully that answered your question. Uh, hopefully that was helpful for you. And please, yeah, do write in questions. Like today's question, for instance, it wasn't about what we were reading. It's just a Bible question. We love answering those as well. There's If you have questions about anything in the Bible, it's not doesn't have to be with the reading plan. We would love for you to send those questions in. Well, finally, uh, this is a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources online at grove.church. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to consider supporting the ministry of The Grove Church financially, you can do that on our website as well, grove.church. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next week.